question that uh, we are asking tonight is, is America or the United States of America in, in Bible prophecy? Do we see any place? That's, that's a question that a lot of people have asked. And they've asked it for a long, long time. In fact, when you do a kind of a study about uh, prophetic issues and prophetic themes, those questions actually go back all the way to the 1800s. Theologians asking that question. As times were changing, you know, uh, after the formation of of the uh, Union of States, the United States of America, it, it, it went through a tremendous process just to become the United States of America. Began with really the the oppression that uh, religious groups were having in in Europe and brought them over here uh, to this land. And so from that there was this spiritual foundation, biblical foundation in the earlier times. But then as we moved along, there was, of course, that uh, democratic and republican forms of government that we went through. And I'm not here to give you a government lesson, but uh, we go through all of these, these times and, and, and see that uh, from its inception, the United States has gone through a lot of a lot of changes. God has blessed the United States of America for the number of times that we have seen a revival in in the church in America that sent out missionaries for, for the last 200 years or so into the world and brought the gospel of Jesus Christ. To, to many lands, and, and even to this day, there are, are missionaries in other lands. But the sad thing is that even today, there are missionaries coming from other places to the United States because we have experienced in some cases the, the very same apathy that places like England and France and, and other nations in Europe have have experienced as far as belief in God and belief in Christ and belief in the Word of God has, is concerned. And whereas England itself was blessed for a long time because they sent out many missionaries into the world and they went all over the world and it was the very fact that they did that, that, uh, uh, that God blessed the empire as it were. But then, as it is the case with men, uh, they lost sight of God and became more nationalistic, more prideful in their nation, more prideful in, in their flag, as it were, and in their accomplishments than to give God the glory for what he has done through those particular nations. So, anyway, with that in mind, we, 
We turn back to Ezekiel 38 for just a moment because there's one verse that I want to focus upon tonight. And then, of course, from that, get to this question. You may be disappointed with the answer. That's all right. Uh, In fact, if we listen carefully, it may encourage us to know what's happening in the United States of America as far as Bible prophecy is concerned. I'd like to begin reading in verse 10 of chapter 38. God is speaking to Gog, the prince of Rosh, and Meshech and Tubal in the land of Magog. And he says, Thus saith the Lord God, it shall also come to pass that at the same time shall things come into into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. Now remember, that is thinking these thoughts of evil against Israel as they come down from the north to invade Israel. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, and I will go to them that are at at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take a spoil and to take a prey. In other words, to go in and to take the things that belong to Israel. Whatever it may be. Riches, gold, silver, of course we see that. Cattle. And even natural resources. Which Israel today is very rich in, as we've talked about already. To take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited and upon the people that are gathered out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. Now verse 13 is the key verse tonight. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey? to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil. I'll explain that at the end of the study. But the question is, is it possible to know the future of the United States of America? Is it possible to know the future of the United States of America? I know that that one of the most popular questions asked at most, if not all, prophecy conferences concerns America and its role in end-time events. Is America mentioned anywhere in the Bible? And if it is, <laughs> what is its significance in the last days? Could the nation considered by many to be the only superpower in the world today not have some mention in the prophecies of the Bible that point to the days and times in which we live? Is that possible? Is it possible that the one nation that has through thick and thin supported the nation of Israel not have some mention in the prophecies of Scripture that pertain to the future of the focal point of prophecy, namely Israel? I mean, these are questions that we really need to ask and and questions we really need to consider. Because the facts are today that we are the only true superpower in the world. I mean, Russia and China are superpowers. But but even as big as they are, everyone knows that we are more powerful than they are. Militarily, technologically, and whatnot. Even though at times it doesn't seem like we are, 
when there's so much hacking going on from other nations into our own country. So, with that thought in mind, what we need to begin with is what we've, <coughs> excuse me, what we've gone through over the last few weeks in Ezekiel 38, and that is what God says in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, where he says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Now this is his prophetic message. This is, this is his prophetic foundation. This is how God, who is God, can do what he does because he knows the beginning from the end. So he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. In other words, this is what we see in Scripture when we talk about prophecy or prophetic uh, verses or prophetic chapters. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So all of this comes back to God, what he knows from beginning to end, and what he has himself prepared. We're told in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Now, what we're doing here now is, is establishing the foundation in our hearts and in our minds that God is in control of all things. God is sovereign. God knows the end from the beginning, beginning from the end, and he also has given us his word, which is, as Paul states here, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, which means it is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, in other words, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The word of God is God-breathed, it is true, it is inspired, and it does not contradict itself. One more thing to add is how important the word of God is in, in the fullness of it, from Genesis to Revelation for us. But in Paul's time, Paul says in Acts 20, verse 27, in speaking to the, uh, to the uh, uh, elders of, uh, of, of Ephesus in Miletus, he said, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. He hasn't held back giving the full counsel of God. This is what we are wanting to do tonight. And as always, we turn to the Word of God for the guidance that we need in answering these and many other questions concerning the last days, concerning Israel, and the nations playing major roles in current events, especially the United States of America. So, in the foreword to Terry James's book entitled, the American Apocalypse is the United States in Bible Prophecy. Jack Kinsella wrote this. He said, like Terry's previous books, the American Apocalypse is well-researched and carefully documented, and it tells a tale of a nation suffering from a form of spiritual madness it can neither identify nor treat. And I thought that that statement was, 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 was tremendous, uh, tremendously insightful. That he says that a nation, speaking of the United States, is suffering from a form of spiritual madness that it can neither identify nor treat. Well, I can tell you this, the nation itself may not be able to, to identify or treat the madness, but those of us who have the word of God should be able to see it. We may talk a little bit about it tonight. But when I read that quote, it, it struck me because over the past few years of studying and researching the, the, uh, the prophetic books of Scripture in light of 
of current events, I have come to the conclusion, you've probably heard me say this a number of times, and that is that when we see the evil and the wickedness in the world, especially in our own country, it can only be labeled as demonic insanity. Well, whether it's spiritual madness, demonic insanity, or both, we are living in the perilous times that the Word of God has prophetically predicted with one great blessing that the world facing these same days and times doesn't have. And the blessing is the promise of Christ's return to gather His church, which people in the world can have when they come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ before it's too late. But as long as they don't know Jesus Christ, they don't have that assurance. And what is it that most people are hoping for today if they're not hoping in the return of Jesus Christ? If they're not hoping at all in God or in Christ and in, in, in changing the world, they're, they're trusting in man. And the sad thing is that most of the people in our country, unfortunately, but statistics bear this out, most people today don't have any trust in God at all. Even if they say that they're believers, even if they say that they're Christian, even if they say that they go to church. We look at, we look at the news every day and we think, my goodness, how, can it get any worse? It's going to get worse, but it's pretty bad already. The things that people do to one another the kind of hatred that is spewed out between political parties and, and the people on the streets and protests and whatnot is, is just staggering. We've, we've lost the sense of, of focus in our country. And if we can't find it in, 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 our, in our political leadership, we can't find it in the people that we're, you know, we vote them in and then we, then we look at them and they argue at each other and then they do their best to try to outdo each other and yet this nation is going down the tubes every day because we, we, we've lost that foundation. If the foundations fail, as we're, as we're told in, in Psalm 11, if our foundations are just broken up and falling apart, what are we going to do? The good thing is that we have a foundation in Jesus Christ. This is where we must trust. This is where we must put our faith in. And if the United States of America is in Bible prophecy, is it the America that we know at the present time as the great superpower in the world? Will it maintain her superpower status or will, will we find it in a completely different state? A nation under judgment which will lead to its relative silence in world affairs and weak and innocuous in its actions or inactions having become a product of its own nationalistic worship and glory. It's hard, it's hard sometimes to go through all of this in my own heart and in my own mind because I love the United States of America. We respect the many who have put on the uniform to defend this country for many years and even today. 
But sometimes we have to ask the question, what are we fighting for? Because usually the answer is the same. Freedom. But then you look at the, then you look at the, the, the landscape of America and you say, freedom from what? Because it's so sad. How we impose our own thoughts upon each other and there is no freedom. People are in bondage. And the fact is, people are in bondage today to sin, to unrighteousness, ungodliness. That's not freedom. Certainly not as God intended for his people. So it is hard. This is, this is a hard message. Generally speaking, how does the Lord deal with nations? And this is, this is what we need to understand before we get to the, you know, to the question, well, where is American prophecy, if it is at all? Well, God deals with nations. We know that. But I want you to consider that, first of all, we need to realize that the Lord is the only one who raises up, who establishes, and delineates nations and their boundaries. The Lord is the only one who raises up nations. We are first to see this clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 32. An interesting passage because of the, because of the uh, nation of Israel. Even back then, God's raising up of nations pertains to the nation of Israel. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 32 verses 7 and 8. It says, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee, thy elders, and they will tell thee, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to, notice, to the number of the children of Israel. Even in dividing up nations, Israel was at the very center of God's heart and of God's mind. From the very beginning. It isn't just a modern issue. It's from the very beginning. And based upon that scripture, the Apostle Paul made this statement to the philosophers in Athens in Acts chapter 17. Listen to what he says. Paul said in verses 24 through 26, he said, God that made the world and all things therein, Seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and has made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and, notice this, has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He has appointed and determined the times of every nation and the bounds or the boundaries or the borders of their habitation. Now this teaches us one great and important lesson. And that is that ultimately nations don't have minds of their own. 
Although they make many decisions that establish certain consequences based on acting upon those decisions, nonetheless, nations don't have minds of their own. Another thing to know about how the Lord deals with nations, second thing, is that he is also the only one who decides when a nation ceases to exist. He's the only one. Now we can, we can safely say that many people have wanted the nation of Israel not to exist. That's been their desire, but God has not allowed that to happen, and neither will he allow it to happen because he has promised the nation of Israel its survival. But God is the only one who decides when a nation ceases to exist. Think of the words of Job in Job 12, verse 23, when he says, He increased the nations and destroyeth them. He enlarges the nations and straighteneth them again. He enlarges them and then he governs them. He controls the nations. This is one major reason why we need to trust the Lord when we see what's happening in the world today. I think we get too filled with anxiety when we watch the news. Or we, we, we want, you know, oh my goodness, why did we do this? Why, do we, why are these things happening? You know, we get all flustered, you know. Then we go to get the bottle of Rolaids, you know. Chewing those chewables. There comes a time when we have to say, you know what? God's in control. And he knows exactly why he's doing what he's doing. He knows exactly what nations need to be out there. And we're seeing it in scripture because look at what what we saw in Psalm 83. The establishment of those nations that surround Israel that are going to be destroyed by God when they take up war against Israel. Following that's going to come the Ezekiel 38 war where the other nations outside that, that initial uh, level come and they can't destroy Israel because God is their God. So it doesn't matter how strong a nation may be. See, that's the thing. We need to have that in mind about the United States. It doesn't matter how strong a nation may be. When the Lord decides it's time for it to cease, cease it will. Take Babylon, for example. When it was celebrating the greatness of its power during the reign of Belshazzar, the the, the grandson of of Nebuchadnezzar, you can read this in Daniel chapter 5, but when they were celebrating the greatness of their power, that was the day that the Lord wrote, you know, the writing on the walls for Babylon. The Lord at that same time allowed the Medes and the Persians to conquer the city without a shot fired, so to speak. They came in, they, they, they dammed up the river that came into Babylon until they were all able to walk where, where the river would be going underneath. And then they, they all came in and just took over. Or consider the Assyrians under Sennacherib in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. Sennacherib who sent a massive army against Jerusalem and Hezekiah. 
And the king of Judah at the time, Hezekiah, prayed and he cried out to the Lord. And 185,000 Assyrian troops died before morning. That's a great army. That was a massive army. But they didn't make it to morning. And we can talk about Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah being told by God, you know, to, you know, instead of, you know, they're worried about what's going to happen, three nations are surrounding us. And God tells them through a prophet not to arm themselves except to put the worship team out in front, and the priests. And they prayed and they praised and they worshiped God. And the three nations were so confused they killed each other. They destroyed each other. That's God. The problem today is that some people trust in their military power. Psalm 20 verse 7 says some trust in chariots and some in horses. In those days that was military power. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We ought not to forsake that particular verse of Scripture and that particular attitude that we should have with God all the time. Man can trust in all, all kinds of things, but we must trust the Lord. By the way, did you thank Him this morning that He gave you breath and life? Because he's the one that does it every day. I tell you this, the older I get, the more I check on that. Whether I'm breathing and got a pulse, okay. All right, thank you, Lord, let's go. Got a day ahead of us here. Just checking. Thank you for it. Or Psalm 33, verses 16 through 19. There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. Listen to that. There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, reverence him, respect him, honor him, worship him upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. There's a third thing to know about God dealing with, with nations and it is this. He has a purpose for every nation. God has a purpose for every nation whether they are mentioned in scripture or not, God has a purpose for every nation. Going back to Acts chapter 17 for just a moment, I should have had you keep your, fing your finger there in Acts 17. But the next verse in the passage that I gave you earlier contained these words. I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin by reading verse 26 again to lead you contextually into the next verse. But Paul said to the Athenian philosophers, he says, And has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. And here's the reason 
that they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Did you see the purpose? That the people, you know, in other words, from this statement, we realize that nations exist for the purpose of allowing their people to seek God. That's a heavy-duty thought. We, we don't think about the nations in, in those kinds of terms, but that's what Paul said. That they should seek the Lord. Nations are appointed. The bounds of their habitation are given so that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him, go after him, find him, that he, though he be not far from every one of us. Isn't it interesting how some nations do their best to keep God far away from their people? To the extent that even some communistic nations over the many, many years that uh, communism ruled and reigned in certain areas like China and, and, and the Soviet Union and whatnot, they would tell the people, there is no God. The state is God. That's a, that's a dangerous thing to say. Because that's where a lot of nations have gone and that's where this nation was going. Could still go there. State is God. The state tells you what to do. Who to give to. And yet when you looked into some of these nations the underground church in some of those nations was so strong and they had to hide sometimes there were hundreds of people with only portions of scripture in their hands but to them it was more precious than gold I remember back in 1989, having gone with a team to, to China, to uh, Hong Kong, and from Hong Kong going into, into communist China at the time, to smuggle in Bibles. Because the people were crying out for the word of God. And we got a, f a number of Bibles into, into China. Some were caught, but for the most part, a lot of Bibles went in. And we weren't the only group doing it. So many others were. Because the cry from within was, the church is alive and well, but we want God's word. Because the nation was telling them that there was no God. So we realize that nations exist, is, exist for the purpose of allowing their people to seek God. And they are to do this by providing an atmosphere of calmness and quietness so that godliness might thrive and flourish and prosper. And you might say, well, does, that, does the word of God say that? Well, let me take you to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because Paul tells us what to pray for. He says in 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. 
You see how that purpose is of a nation that will let God's people seek their God and to do so in quietness and calmness so that godliness might thrive, flourish, and prosper. It is very sad today that even in the, in the nation of, uh, of Canada, just north of, of our borders, uh, they, they have some of the most liberal laws going into effect that are against the churches or any church or any person that preaches against homosexuality. And if I'm not mistaken, and I, and I say this based upon what I, I read a, a few weeks ago, and I, I wanted to get a little bit more understanding of it, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure that something that was said about anyone that was caught doing that, you know, preaching against homosexuality, would, would, um, would be threatened to lose their own children. But the state would, would uh, in, uh, or whatever the, uh, the um, local authorities would, would do is, is, is take your own children away. If, if you were accused of preaching against homosexuality. So it, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's scary, isn't it, in a sense? Uh, that this, this nation that even in the, its own national anthem, you know, if you, if you ever read the words of, of old Canada, I mean, it, it talks about God in it, you know. Much like a lot of nations will mention God. Some of the great uh, songs of, of, of England, you know, other than, other than God save the king or queen, Songs like you know, "Land of Hope and Glory," you know that actually is, is is sung to what we know as the song played for graduation, you know, pomp and circumstance. And then it talks about God and and how God needs to be the one to uh, who has given them might and power, but it isn't believed anymore. And so, even in nations where the the gospel had flourished at one time. It doesn't flourish anymore. You go to England and many churches are closed today and some of them have become either car washes or, mo or, or mosques. Take your pick. Nations also are to exist for the purpose of punishing evildoers and rewarding those who do right. That's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 verses 13 and 14. He tells the church, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Whatever the laws may be, submit yourselves to those ordinances for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, speaking of God, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. But may I ask you, is that happening in the United States of America today? When practically every day we hear of a shooting of a police officer, or we hear of a shooting of, of, of a sheriff or some, uh, some law enforcement official, or just the, the, the outright disrespect to people in, in riots and in, in, in uh, protests going on over what some people aren't, don't even understand or know. 
But if it's a protest, we got, I got to be there. I got to have to throw. I get to throw a rock through somebody's window. That's the insanity I talk about. Spiritual madness that Jack Kinsella talked about. If we were just to look at, at the first 200 years or so of America's history, we could conclude that the United States of America had a special purpose which included evangelizing the world for Jesus Christ, the translating of the scriptures into many different and diverse languages, and to proclaim the gospel through the very technologies and media we often take for granted. Now, what we needed to remember as a nation was that God blesses or he disciplines nations based on their obedience to him. So where do we stand in all of that today? I want you to consider for a moment these verses. Consider what it says in Psalm 33 verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now at one time, the United States of America was called a Christian nation. Now, that wasn't an official thing. It just happened to be that at, at one time, the Christian faith was, was the prominent faith in the nation. It didn't exclude the fact that there were Jews in the nation and other, other religions as such because of the freedom of religion that was granted in this nation early on. It just was a Christian nation because most of the people in the, in the nation considered themselves to be Christian. But about eight years ago, uh, President Obama, when he took office, said uh, this is no longer a Christian nation. Now that doesn't mean that his declaration made it not, but, but, but even though he said, well, it's also a Jewish nation and a Muslim nation and a Buddhist nation and all of these other things, and, and then, of course, in the eight years that he was in, in office, you know, he pushed a certain agenda that was far from where this country had been. And I'm not saying that to make anybody upset or whatever. That's just the truth. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. It's a simple truth. Or Proverbs 14.34, everybody knows this or should know it. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. But I challenge you to read Romans chapter 1 tonight and you let me know, is that not, from verses 18 down to the end of, of chapter 1 of Romans, if that is not what America is like today. And most of you know what I'm talking about. I could read it, but I've got a whole lot of more notes here and we're not finished yet. But I want you to read Romans chapter 1 from verse 18 on to the end of the verse, or the end of the chapter, and know that righteousness no longer is exalting this nation because righteousness is disappearing. And I hate to say it, but even in the church... Righteousness is disappearing because righteousness has to be based upon the word of God and the word of God is not that important in some churches today. Maybe piety is. Maybe meditation or 
or labyrinth uh, walking and all kinds of other stupid things that some people are doing that they've taken from other religions and putting them in the church or Christian yoga, which is an oxymoron. It's incredible. So there's blessing to those who obey, the, who obey God and there's curses who don't, to those who don't. That's simply what we read in Genesis 12, verse 3. And I will bless them to bless thee, speaking to Abraham about Israel, the nation that he was going to set apart. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So my question to you is, how are we doing as a nation so far with these verses? How are we doing? Honestly, I don't think we're doing very good at all as a people in this United Nations, in these United Nations, or in these United States. United Nations is another matter. Well, I don't know where that came from, but that's, another, that's a whole other hour. And we're not going to deal with that today. But Deuteronomy establishes that very same thing about a nation of people that bless God in obedience will be blessed by God. Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 and 2, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. That is primarily to Israel, but it is in fact to every nation. If you jump down to verse 15 in that same chapter, Deuteronomy 28, it says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So where do we stand as a nation in those questions? By the way, we finally come to this issue of where's America? in all of this. Where's American prophecy if it is at all? Where does America fit in in the prophetic landscape of Scripture? Where does it fit? Well, there have been some ideas uh, over the years as to whether or not America is in prophecy. The first uh, thing that we want to ask is, is it, is it the unnamed nation of Isaiah 18? Because there are those who believe that America is the unnamed nation of Isaiah 18, verses 1 and 2. If you'll turn there, Isaiah 18. It says, Woe to the land shadowing with wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. Well, I'd say it's, it's safe to say that the United States is far beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. <laughs> okay. So, well, maybe there's something in this. The shadowing with wings, you know, the wings are, are, are significant uh, in that uh, most people would say that, uh, you know, the nation of, uh, of the United States was, was uh, one, of, one of its symbols is the eagle, the bald eagle, and, of course, flying out with its wings open. Some of our coins and our, our, in, our, uh, in our paper money, you know, have the eagle with the wings open, and so... You know, the thought is, well, they see us shadowing with wings, and, 
and certainly were beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, that sendeth ambassadors by the sea, and, and of course we have quite a, quite a navy that uh, I'm not sure that there are too many vessels of bulrushes upon the waters, uh, but uh, that, that may have been a long time ago. Uh, bulrushes is what, uh, <laughs> is what the ark was built. Uh, I'm talking about the ark of uh, Moses when he was put into the water by his mother and found by the daughter of Pharaoh. So that was an ark of bulrushes. I don't think our navy has any of those. But uh, it sendeth ambassadors by the sea, uh, even in vessels of bulrushes upon the water, saying, Go ye swift messengers to a nation scattered and peeled, to a people terrible from their beginning hitherto. Uh, so a nation scattered in that it's a very large and open, wide-opened uh, land, as America is, and uh, to a people terrible from their beginning hitherto. Terrible in the sense, what, what it means here in the King James is that it's a people that is feared, a, a, a people that are feared. And, um, of course, we know that the United States have, be, have become feared all over the nation because, or all, all over the world because of its, of its might and its power. A nation meted out and trodden down whose land the rivers have spoiled. And, and of course, we would say, or some people would say, well, you see, our, our land is spoiled today because our rivers are polluted and all kinds of environmental issues, okay? Well, context is always important. I'll tell you right now that the unnamed nation of Isaiah 18 is not the United States because the context is important. Isaiah 15 through 19 deal with the Middle East and Northern African countries. You start in, in verse, uh, uh, or I should say in Isaiah 16, that's talking about Moab. Well, 15 and 16 talk about Moab which is Jordan today. Uh, chapter 17 focuses upon Syria because of Damascus. Uh, chapter 19 is Egypt. Uh, so, you know, the context again, you know, we're talking about nations in the Middle East. And then more likely in chapter 18, the focus because of, of, of certain statements is on Cush, which is not Ethiopia, but Sudan. Therefore, uh, it is beyond the rivers uh, of, of Ethiopia. So the focus of chapter 18 very simply is, is uh, probably a nation in the Middle East and Northern Africa. So those who have sought hard to make that reality, you know, doesn't, doesn't really hold up in Scripture anywhere else. So the next question is, is the United States of America Babylon? Because this is one of those things that a lot of people have really gotten on to and you read some of, the, some of the books and commentaries back in the 1800s, the 19th century, 20th century, uh, a lot of uh, Bible uh, commentators were, were looking at uh, Babylon every time it was mentioned to say, I think uh, this may be where the United States of America fits. And uh, so I, I want to take you to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18 verses 9 through 11 it says, And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Stop and think about 9-11. They shall see the smoke of her burning. Now, that might not have been the, the thought in the 1800s or the 1900s, uh, the early 1900s when they were commenting on this, but they were foreseeing that it could happen at some day 
this would happen. Then, of course, we look back at 9-11, and it did happen in this particular sense. They shall see the smoke of her burning. All of the world saw the smoke of the burning of the Twin Towers in New York City on September the 11th, 2001. But then it goes on to say, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Now you might say, well, yeah, in about an hour's time, you know, two, uh, two towers were hit and eventually they collapsed, killing over 3,000 people, or at least uh, almost 3,000 people. Then, of course, there were the tragedies in, in Pennsylvania and at the Pentagon. But then it says in verse 11, And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. And this passage would very quickly throw the idea of Babylon out the window if, as, as America being Babylon. Because the events of 9-11 seem to have caused more and more people to believe that America is described here in Scripture. But other prophecy experts have concluded that because of the parallels between Babylon and America uh, in Jeremiah 50 and 51, it, it leads the USA to its judgments of being the last of the superpowers, the, police, the last of the policemen of the world, the nation of abundant wealth, and any number of comparisons, especially to New York City. But I have to ask you the question, is Wall Street still doing business? Did you get up this morning and did you see the NASDAQ and the, uh, uh, you know, those other uh, stocks and, and whatnot uh, organizations? They're still working, aren't they? They hadn't closed down. People are still trading with the United States. People are still doing things. So what we have to understand here about Babylon is Babylon is, first of all, the most mentioned city in the Bible, second only to Jerusalem. It is mentioned about 300 times in Scripture, but it is consistently seen, consistently seen as the embodiment of evil from beginning to end. There's never been one good thing about Babylon, the city or the nation. Not one good thing. It is the embodiment of evil and, a re and rebellion against God. In fact, it can be seen as Satan's capital on earth, Babylon. Now, remember this. From the very beginning, Babylon was an organized community against God. All you got to do is read chapters 10 and 11 of the book of Genesis, and you realize that the Tower of Babel and the building of Babel, the city of Babel and the Tower of Babel, was all in organized opposition to the God of Abraham to the God of creation. I, say the God, I was going to say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jim. He hadn't, he hadn't come around yet. But uh, the God who created the heavens and the earth. It was the capital of the first global ruler. The first global ruler was Nimrod. Nimrod is mentioned in this passage. We can go on many centuries later to Nebuchadnezzar, who destroyed the city of Jerusalem and its temple in 586 B.C., and once again, from Nimrod to Nebuchadnezzar, all there was was wor uh, idol worship and, and uh, just pure, outright uh, uh, wickedness and evil in the culture of the Babylonians. The area of the Chaldeans, the area of Ur of the Chaldees, from which Abraham did come, and God says, I call you out of Ur of the Chaldees to a land 
that you know not, but I'll take you there, that being the land of Canaan. Interestingly enough, when he gets to Canaan, everybody in Canaan, you know, that, that, that should have been worshiping the God of, Ab the, the God of, of uh, creation, uh, were worshiping other gods as well. But there was a reason why God sent him there. So the prophecies of Zechariah and Revelation parallel when it comes to Babylon. And in Je Jeremiah 50 and 51, the river Euphrates is mentioned when Babylon is described. So understand that Babylon, as far as scripturally, more than likely will still be where it is. It is still going to be a city. Look, look at the Iraq today. Is still, it's, it's, it's not still in the news to, today by happenstance. I mean, it's, it's in the news again. And it has been now over the past 20-some years since the, the first Gulf War. So to say that America is Babylon uh, doesn't fit because, first of all, the United States of America was founded uh, as far as the, the government itself and, and everything else was founded upon the word of God. And we were good for a good while in bringing the gospel to many nations. So it doesn't really fit. Uh, there's another view, and that is America, is America the ten lost tribes of Israel? Now this, this was something called Anglo-Israelism that was uh, uh, developed by uh, Herbert W. Armstrong and the Worldwide Church of God many, many years ago. They've since changed their names, but uh, they, they've been a cult actually for, for many years because of the way that they have, have uh, 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 interpreted the Bible and all. But I don't want to spend any time on this question simply because the ten tribes of Israel, which were the northern tribes of the divided kingdom and were judged by Assyria in 722 B.C., were not lost at all. <laughs> they were scattered. Many of them went back to the Judah. They went back to the, to the, uh, the southern kingdom. But besides all of that, the Lord knows exactly where they all are. So, I mean, they're not lost. Right, right, right? I mean, you know, the Lord knows where they are. What are we worried about? Lastly, for tonight, is America the young lions of Tarshish? Uh, if you give me a, just a few more minutes after our normal stopping time, uh, I want to go ahead and finish all of this. Is America the young lions of Tarshish? Let's go back to Ezekiel 38 now, verses thir verse 13. Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, speaking of Gog, the ruler of Rosh and Magog and Meshech and Tubal, art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? That statement is made by these nations, Sheba and Dedan, which is Saudi Arabia and the Gulf nations, uh, the Gulf uh, Arabian Peninsula nations, um, Dubai, uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, Yemen, and, and so on, uh, Qatar. Along with the merchants of Tarshish, Tarshish being somewhere in the European nations and the young lions of Tarshish being the colonies of some of these nations. They're in opposition. 
much like the United Nations today could be in opposition to Israel, for example, all the time, because they are. But it's talking about a, a particular alliance that is questioning the Prince of Rosh and the people of Magog, Magog and, and so on. It's an interesting situation because this is the most probable of all the examples and speculations given. If, if America is at all in the scriptures, it may be in this one reference or any reference of the young lions of Tarshish. Because as I said, the young lions of Tarshish are considered to be colonies of the people of Tarshish. Now some believe to be either the people of Spain or of the British Isles or England. And yes, there were peoples living in those places a long, long time ago. We know this, and I'll show you in just a moment why that is. But in either case, both nations, Spain or England, had something to do with the discovery and colonization of the New World, namely the United States of America. You all do remember somebody named Christopher Columbus. Now, he was Spanish. Now, he was sent out, of course, by... Ferdinand and Isabella from Portugal, but nonetheless, and then of course England and their colonization back in the 1600s. Tarshish comes from the name of one of Noah's great-grandsons, the son of Yavan, in Genesis chapter 10, verse 4. So there was a people of Tarshish as they sent out, and they went out and colonized the world. The land of Tarshish was thought to be well west of the known world at the time. How do we know this? Well, turn to the book of Jonah, because Tarshish is mentioned in the book of Jonah. As a matter of fact, early on in Jonah. Now remember, Jonah's a prophet of God. He's a true prophet of God, and God calls Jonah to go to the people of Nineveh to preach to them. Their wickedness, it says, has come up before me. Let's, let's read it, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish. See, where he was, he had to go east. God says, Go to Nineveh. And Jonah gets up and he says, Okay, and he goes west, and he goes the other direction, as far as he could go. As far as he could go was Tarshish. If you're going to run from God, you've got to go as far as you can go. So that's why we know that Tarshish was in the whole other direction, away from where he was, and a totally different direction from where God wanted him to go. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Well, we know how that turned out for him. He had another ride all the way back inside of a big fish. Well, getting back to Ezekiel, Sheba and Dedan, Saudi Arabian nations primarily in the Arabian Peninsula, and in the Gulf, align with the merchants of Tarshish, Spain, England, or 
European nations, with their villages, the young lions, against the aggressive presence. Now listen, the aggressive presence of Gog and Magog in the Middle East. Consider for just a moment what we have seen in recent weeks. I want to go into too, too much detail because of time, but let me just say the U.S. developing treaties and establishing relations with the Arab nations in alliance against ISIS. We saw that when President Trump went to Saudi Arabia first, before he even went to Israel. He went to Saudi Arabia, and he, he spoke to a large group of leaders from these Arabian countries, Arab nations. So there was this establishment with Arab nations in alliance against ISIS primarily, but also against the interests of Russia and Iran, Persia, if you remember now the list of the nations that we've already talked about at the earlier part of Ezekiel 38, Russia and Iran, who are no friends of the Saudis, Do you see then that things are lining up for the Psalm 83 war? Because it hasn't happened yet. Which leads to the Ezekiel, Gog, and Magog war, which will happen soon after the Psalm 83 war. And something else will happen around that very same time. And I'm going to add to this in our next study but the other event that will happen at that time can be the rapture of the church. And I want to explain how that fits in to these wars and to where America is when that happens. So what's in store for America? What's in store for the United States? I'm going to give you two things from two passages, and then we'll close with this. I want you to turn to Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea 4, verse 6. Because is this what is happening to America today? And again, while these scriptures are pointing directly to Israel, God's people, we have often applied these very same scriptures not only to other nations, but to ourselves especially. And it says in Hosea 4, verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now we have to understand that that knowledge can be prophetic knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of prophetic knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Now, is that going to be America who has forsaken the knowledge of God's truth, the knowledge of God's word, the knowledge of God's prophetic vision? 
And the sad thing is, and I've said this time and time again, that churches today in the United States of America are forsaking not only the Word of God, they are particularly forsaking prophetic teaching. As if it doesn't matter. As if it's not important. So, is this what is in store for America or what it says in 2 Chronicles 7.14? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now that is my people being first of all Israel, but primarily for us today, it's God's people that truly believe and trust in God and his word. You know, Daniel prayed for the nation of Israel as if he had been the sinner himself. Nehemiah prayed for his people as though he had been the sinner himself. And too often, we don't pray for our nation as if we are the sinners. So what is going to happen to this nation? Will the United States be silent when the time comes? The rapture of the church may have something to do with this silence, but I, just as I said last week to get us into this week, you're going to have to come back next week. And then we'll go on. I mean, we're going to go on. But I want to answer some of those questions and tie it all together to the rest of Ezekiel 38 and 39. So this was a major part of what we needed to understand as to how God deals with nations, and especially a nation that has been so consequential to the things that are happening in the Middle East and especially in Israel. Without the United States of America supporting Israel, where would Israel be? Well, Israel would be there because God loves Israel and, and was going to have his way with Israel, but he used the United States of America for Israel's existence. So where are we going to be after all of that? A couple more things to add to this next week. I'm not telling you tonight. Don't ask me at the door. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us the time to put all of this together, to study it together, and to trust in the very fact that, Lord, your word truly is wonderful. It is amazing in its depth, amazing in its accuracy, amazing, Lord God, in what it says about today, tomorrow and eternity. And it is that which should cause us to want more and more of you, that we might be ready for that day to come. That we might, Lord God, be where you want us to be as your people, telling others about Jesus before it's too late. And it can get too late very quickly. And so, I pray, Father, that you give us not only wisdom and understanding, but give us the strength and the courage to be light in darkness, 
and to be salt and an influence to this earth. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, give you peace. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the United States of America. Should we do that? Of course we should. Because there's still hope and there's still opportunity to let people know about Jesus. And Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He's the Redeemer. And we have still the opportunity to lead others to Jesus. So, keep looking up. Your redemption draws near. Love you guys. God bless you. Let's sing. Let's praise the Lord.